I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, to discuss, to dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we delve into the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Today, I have a fellow film enthusiast, uh, a good friend of mine who's been on the show before, John Edmonds. He is here to help me discuss an amazing film. But first of all, John, how are you? Hello, I'm back. Uh, Thank you again for having me. I'm doing well, recovering from a cold. But other than that, just rocking and loving this sun. Oh, great. I love to hear it. If you had walk up music or like welcome back music, what would what would your song be? Oh, I'd have to be some some Frank Sinatra song. I just love classic Frank Sinatra. And I just don't want to take myself too seriously. So it'd have to be something of his like my way. I don't know. My way's good. I'm not a big Frank Sinatra fan. However, I do know like I've heard a lot of Frank Sinatra's music. Oh, my grandma, my grandma loved Frank Sinatra. So she always had it on. So I have such an affinity for Frank Sinatra. Mm, Well, I dig it. There you go. Mine would be Till I Collapse by Eminem. I've always thought about that. That's a good one. That's a solid one. I will always remember that one uh, for what? The Modern Warfare 2 Mm -hmm. video game trailer. That thing got you pumped for the game. Yeah, it'd be that or it would be Let's Hear It for the Boys. Ooh, let's hear it for the boys. (laughs) That one is false. Um, (laughs) but, But I'm super excited to have you on the show today because we are going to discuss a film that I did not I've never seen before. This was the first time I saw it. I don't know why it's taken me this long. Um, And actually, it's really fun because this is my birthday week. And last birthday episode, we did Over the Top, which was a Sylvester Stallone movie, which is like the greatest movie of all time. So today we're doing another Sylvester Stallone movie, which is the second greatest movie of all time. Cliffhanger from 1993. Crazy, right? I've Never seen it before. It was directed by Rennie Harlan, who did Die Hard 2, my favorite Die Hard, Driven, Deep Blue Sea, my hat is like a shark's fin, and a Nightmare, on El- a Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Um, I really liked that one, but 3 is my favorite. Written by, It was written by John Lang, Michael France, and Sylvester Stallone himself. It stars Sylvester Stallone, John Lithgow, Michael Rooker, Janine Turner, Rex Lynn, Carolyn Goodall and Leon, who was from Cool Runnings and Above the Rim. He was a great. young Michael Rooker. Yeah, but he dude, Michael Rooker was pitching gas the entire movie. He was fantastic. But I he thought doesn't he was age. so good. He's he's just so amazing. I love Michael Rooker with like all my heart. He's he's a fantastic actor. And I think he did. Yeah, he, he seems like such a cool guy to hang out with, too. I, I feel like also he doesn't get enough credit for all of like the roles he plays or just how good he does in each role. I agree. I think he, it'd be awesome if he won an Oscar or something like that. Very much like the Brendan Fraser, uh, the Renaissance. I would love the Rooker sense. What would we call that? We'd call that the, the Ro- 
gone rookin. No, I don't know. Nah. <laughs> um, so critically, this movie, uh, it, it fared okay on IMDb. 6.5 out of 10. 67% uh, Rotten Tomato meter and 52% audience score. So it it didn't hold up very well uh, for audiences. Now, I don't know how old these uh, ratings are, but I would implore them to maybe give it another go and then watch it from there. I watched it on Netflix. Where did you watch it? I also watched it on Netflix. That was the first thing when you said we were going to do Cliffhanger. I was like, where is it streaming? Because I knew I just saw it. And I mm-hmm. definitely, I was like, oh yeah, Netflix. If you're ever in need of uh, where a movie is streaming, use justwatch.com or Ooh, the app okay. Just Watch. It tells you where everything's streaming. It tells you if, if it's available streaming and how much it costs to purchase or rent on all of the major platforms. It is amazing. It's fantastic. That. I use it for everything. That's how I pretty much find the movies for this show. Ooh, cool. Good to know. Yeah. The more you know. The more you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, budget was estimated at $70 million in 1993. Um, and it in the U.S. and Canada, it grossed 84 point, let's just say one million uh, opening weekend in U.S. and Canada on May 30th, 1993. So we're coming up on the 30 year anniversary, actually. Ooh. Crazy stuff right there. Uh, 16.176967 million dollars. Worldwide, it grossed $255 million, so pretty successful for what it was, but I think a lot of that was because of Stallone's star power. I mean, Rocky Balboa, John Rambo, it's hard to beat. Very, very hard to beat. Lincoln Hawk, I mean, his best character ever, so there mm-hmm. we go. So uh, this, this movie was in the Guinness Book of World Records for the costliest aerial stunt. Um, there was a stuntman named Simon Crane, and he was paid $1 million to cross between the two planes at 15,000 feet. So that amazing scene when they're, uh, you know, the FBI agent is a, is a double agent and they're trying to get onto John Lithgow's plane. So what's his name? Tarver or something like that has to Travers, uh, Travers, Travers Travers has to, has to belay himself off to the, to the next airplane that was done by stuntman Simon Crane. And he was paid $1 million. He did it without any aid of safety devices or trick photography because everything in this film was Pretty much practical, except a few things. Um, but the insurance company apparently refused to insure him. So Sylvester Stallone offered to reduce his own fee for the movie uh, by one million dollars, so the stunt could be produced. That's would you would incredible. you have done it? Uh, would I have done it if I was a stuntman? If you're a stuntman for one million? Oh, absolutely. Because one million in '93 was like three million. So <laughs> I, just I would. Remember, I was yeah, like, I, I would have. When done I saw it. that stunt, I was like. I'm pretty sure this is the famous $1 million stunt. And I was like, yeah, it was. It's just crazy, man, because it's so dangerous, but it's so wonderful. And for as much crap as this movie might have gotten from the critics and stuff, practically, it was it was amazing. I thought the I thought the stunt scenes and the action scenes were so well done and it was shot so wonderfully. Uh, There are some cheesy moments, of, of course, some cheesy dialogue, but like. Filming on location, like they were in the Dolomites, actually, in Italy, instead of the actual Colorado Rockies. Um, but it's I still the Rockies to be a bit more rockier. <laughs> that John Denver's full of shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> even though I knew it was set in the Rockies. Yeah, I knew they filmed it in the Dolomites. I was like, oh, that, that Rockies. Yeah, it just it, it they did a fantastic job with it, in my opinion. I, I think it, it's just a hell of an action movie. And I had a blast with it. And uh, I also feel yeah. that they wouldn't have, sorry to cut, I, they, no, they no, also you're good. wouldn't have, like, 
now, if this movie were to be made now, they would never have been like, we're going to go to the Dolomites, we're going to film it on location, we're going to film it practically. They would have done this all on a, on a big old set, and, I mean, you would never have seen that that stuntman going from plane to plane in real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been CGI'd or something like that. So apparently TriStar Pictures and Carol Co. Pictures, the producing companies, uh, planned a sequel in 1994, 1994 called The Dam, which was described as, wait for it, Hard in a Dam. Who would have thought, Ooh. right? Die Hard on a Mountain, Die Hard in a Dam. Uh, it would have had Sylvester Stallone's character from this movie, so Gabe Jackson or Gabe Walter, not Jackson, <laughs> Gabe something. He would have been fighting terrorists who took over the Hoover Dam, but it never went beyond the developmental stage. Stallone tried to resurrect the project again in 2008, but it never happened. Uh, I don't know if I would have seen it, but let's be honest, I would have seen it. I'm a sucker for cheesy action movies. Yep. I just wa- I didn't just watch, but I watched that Gerard Butler movie called Plane. It's literally I've just actu- plain. I've actually <laughs> heard good things about it. Eh, I mean, it's better. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's on snakes on a plane level where it's like you get what you pay for. It's better than what was expected. It's on Plex. So that's what Ooh, I would say. Just I'll check it. that out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tight one thirty uh, hour thirty, I should say. And I enjoyed it for what it's worth. And then finally, Christopher Walken was originally cast as Quaylen instead of John Lithgow, but he left production before filming began. That would have been quite interesting. Christopher Walken playing the bad guy. He that is would a have legend. been that would have been interesting. But then I also I like this movie's always been synonymous with John Lithgow. Yeah, like, I really do like John Lithgow. I think he was maniacal in this film. I think he did a great job. Was this um, Lithgow fresh off like Harry and the Hendersons, or like was this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he had. Uh, I, I don't know about fresh off, but uh, oh, wor- world according to Garp, but that was in the eighties though too. He's been solidly acting all. Just looking at his. Oh yeah, yeah, he's been acting for a long time. Dexter, I remember him. Dexter season four is that is, is the, by far probably that's where if you're gonna yeah, watch Dexter, that's Trinity where you should stop. Killer or something like that. That's yeah, where you stop. I agree. Henderson's um, was eighty seven, and then this one's ninety three. He was in Ricochet, um, L.A. Story. The Pelican Brief. So, I mean, but pretty much if you're looking at like big films, Harry and the Hendersons was probably his biggest one. Mm-hmm. And then this one. But I mean, Lithgow just has this presence that I love. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, well, here's the synopsis for anybody who hasn't seen Cliffhanger. Uh, and this is spoiler filled. So if you don't want to hear it, go ahead and fast forward maybe like six or seven minutes because it's kind of a long one. <laughs> Rangers Gabriel Gabe Walker and his girlfriend Jesse Dehan are dispatched to rescue their friend Hal Tucker and his girlfriend Sarah after Hal suffered a knee injury and stranded them on a peak in the Colorado Rockies. As they try to rescue Sarah, part of her harness breaks. Although Gabe is initially able to grab her, her gloved hand slips out and she falls to her death. Hal blamed Gabe for Sarah's death and Gabe is overcome with guilt, taking an extended leave. Eight months later, Gabe returns to the ranger station to gather his remaining possessions and persuade Jesse to leave with him. While there, they receive a distress call from a group of stranded climbers. Hal goes to locate the climbers, and Jesse is able to persuade Gabe to help out. Hal remains bitter towards Gabe over Sarah's death, at one point threatening to push Gabe off a ledge. When they find the climbers, they discover the distress call was a fake and are taken prisoner by a ruthless gang of international thieves led by psychopathic former military intelligence operative Eric Quaitland. 
The surviving thieves are the brutal Kynet, sadistic Delmar, and pilot Crystal. Quaylin, along with turncoat U.S. Treasury agent Richard Travers, were able to steal three suitcases full of uncirculated bills val- valuing over $100 million from a McDonnell Douglas DC-9 on a mid-air transfer to Lockheed Jetstar. Their escape plan backfired when a supposedly dead FBI agent shoots and damages the hydraulics, sending their plane crashing into the mountain. And they now require Gabe and Hal's help to locate the cases with the help of the beacon locators. Whew, that was a lot. At gunpoint, Hal and Gabe lead them to the first case, located upwards on a steep rock face. Gabe is tethered and forced to climb up to face up the face to reach the case. But when Quaylen plans to have Gabe killed once he's got the case, he Hal warns him not to come down. Before Delmar pulls him back and holds him at gunpoint, Quaylen orders Kynet and one of the thieves to try to yank him down, prompting Gabe to sever the rope. Quaylen orders one of the thieves to open fire on Gabe, causing an avalanche that kills Holden, one of their members. When they see the money from the first case fluttering away, Quaylen believes Gabe is dead and orders Hal to lead them onward. Gabe races ahead to find Jesse at an abandoned cabin, recovering old mountaineering gear to reach the second case before Quaylen does. Night falls on the mountain, and by the time Quaylen arrives, Gabe and Jesse have emptied the case and left only a single bill with the taunting message, Want to Trade. Quaylen orders his men to split up, one of whom, Ryan, spots Gabe and Jesse before attempting to shoot them. However, Gabe blinds him, dropping the assault rifle before tackling the man down a snowy incline. After sending Ryan over the cliff before using a tool, an ice axe to be uh, specific, to prevent him from falling off, both groups take shelter. Of them, Gabe and Jesse burn the money for warmth and fall asleep, but no sex. When morning breaks, Gabe and Jesse resolve to beat Quaylen to the last case. Elsewhere, when Hal sees two friends, Evan and Brett, he warns them away before Quaylen orders his men to open fire. Brett is killed while Evan is wounded, though he manages to run off the mountain and parachute to safety. Frank, having not heard from Gabe or the others, scouts the mountain in the helicopter, spots Evan's parachute, and is able to get him to safety while contacting the authorities. Upon Gabe impaling Kynet on a stalactite, In a cavern, after luring him, he attempts to call for help from Frank, their rescue helicopter pilot, on one of the mercenaries' radios. But Hal alerts him to, but Hal alerts him to explosives Quaylen has rigged above them on the mountain. Gabe and Jesse escape the falling debris in time. Meanwhile, the mercenaries flag down Frank in the helicopter. But by the time he realizes it's a trap, it's a trap. It is too late, and he is fatally shot by Delmar. While hugging Frank's body, Hal discreetly grabs Frank's knife. As the mercenaries split up to look for the last case, Hal is able to use the knife to stab Delmar, kill him with his own shotgun, and escape. Travers sees Gabe and gives chase. While on the surface of a frozen river, Travers observes Gabe under the ice and tries to kill him. But Gabe uses his bolt gun to shoot Travers and his lifeless body and is carried away by the river current. Shoots him three times for some reason when a python gun or python gun should only have one, which also it's not even a real thing, but... I don't know how that works, but that's okay. It's the 90s. Yeah, it's the 90s. It was different then. Yeah. However, at the same time, Quaylen takes Jesse hostage when she waves down the helicopter, believing that Frank was flying it. Quaylen tells Gabe and Hal over the radio that he is holding Jesse captive on board the helicopter, demanding Gabe and Hal surrender the money 
from the third case at a high elevated rendezvous point and threatens to kill her should they refuse to cooperate. Gabe and Hal agree and they meet at cliffs at a cliffside bridge. However, Quaylen tries to challenge Gabe into throwing the case into the hel- helicopter. But when he also threatens to kill Jesse again, Gabe orders Quaylen to free her at a safe distance away from the cliff. Quaylen reluctantly agrees and uses a winch to lower Jesse to the ground. Once Jesse is safely down, however, Gabe throws the bag of money into the helicopter's rotors, shredding the money. Enraged, Quaylen attempts to use the helicopter to kill Gabe, but Gabe has used the winch cable to tether the helicopter to a steel ladder up the cliff face. Hal arrives and helps by shooting down the helicopter. The ladder snaps and leaves Gabe and Quaylen atop the wreckage of the helicopter, hanging by the cable. Gabe fights Quaylen and manages to climb to safety as the wreckage snaps off the cable and falls to the bottom of the mountain, killing Quaylen. Gabe re- reunites with Jesse and Hal as they found the treasury agents led by Walter Wright in a helicopter, arranging to send a rescue helicopter as the trio are seen sitting on top of a mountain peak, reminiscent of Gabe, Hal, and Sarah at the beginning. Holy crap, Wikipedia, that was such a long synopsis for Woo. only a two-hour movie. Um, Yeah, so that's Cliffhanger. Like I said, this is the first time I ever saw it, and I really enjoyed it. I had a hell of a time with it. I thought it still held up really well, and this would be a movie I probably would buy in 4K because it was pretty beautiful like there were some sweeping shots that were gorgeous um you know the mountains in general i'm a sucker for mountains and i really enjoyed it and it is what it is it doesn't take itself soup too seriously you know there are a lot of dumb things in it but at the same time it kind of just fits and it works for me um so the biggest reason probably why it works for me is because i like sylvester stallone he's a global movie star who's acted in over a hundred movies in his career And he's best known for his action roles, uh, including Rambo, John Rambo and Rocky Balboa. But many of his other action films are pretty straightforward, you know, bang, bang, shoot 'em up style movies. There's not a whole lot of depth to them. I'm looking at Cobra. I'm looking at Don't Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. (laughs) However, (laughs) um, he does do some great work in utilizing unconventional action films. And what I mean by that are movies that you wouldn't really think are could be a plot for an action film, but they end up being it like a mundane sport or something. But he uses films like Daylight, where he has to rescue people in a trapped tunnel. And I think that movie is actually pretty solid. It's like Die Hard in a Tunnel, except if the terrorists were an explosion of gas and stuff uh, like (laughs) Cliffhanger. If if the terrorist was Mother Nature. Yeah. And uh, like Cliffhanger and in like Over the Top, where that's an action movie. It's also a drama movie, but it's like him arm wrestling for his son's love. Crazy stuff. Even Escape Plan, too. I love the concept of Cliffhanger, and I applaud him for taking risks. John, why is that a why is why is it good to have unconventional action films for the genre of action? I just feel that action can sometimes just be bottlenecked up where it's just like it has to be like you said, bang, bang, shoot him up. Uh, Guy goes to rescue blank. Guy goes to save blank. However, I feel like this definitely throws sort of the trope it throws a curveball at the trope where it says hey we can try different avenues still have action still have great cinematography and still actually deliver a good quality film i i agree with you i definitely feel this film holds up re-watching it compared to you know 93 um and i just feel like it actually it's just a great different take and i love seeing action stars like stallone or like schwarzenegger or gerard butler just take a stab at something completely different. And sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't, but it's always so fun. You know, you say you tried. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you're right. You know, mixing up the genre and not, and it not becoming stale is good. 
we can see possibilities uh, drawing out. And I think mm-hmm. that that's important. Um, but some are good, some are bad, but it's the fact that you're willing to take the risk. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what it comes down to. Without so, taking the yeah. risk, we wouldn't have gotten kindergarten cop. Oh, there you go. It's not the Tuma. It's not the Tuma. Uh, Who was your daddy and what does he do? Yeah. So I I think it's it's important because yeah, you're taking the risks, you're, you're you're mixing it up a little bit, and you can make amazing movies. Like Top Gun is an action movie, but it's about planes, and I you know he shoots down a couple of people, but it's not as bang bang shoot him up. In Cliffhanger, I don't even think Stallone really holds a gun. He he picks up a gun at a point when he's trying to fight that guy in the in the snow, but he realizes that his fists are probably better. So he and uses the grinding that of his face on the snow. That was pretty gnarly. I I loved it, but that was that was gnarly, man. I was like, oh, that would hurt in real life. Oh my god, yeah. As somebody who snowboards, and when you see that ice and you fall on it, no, it does not feel good at all. Uh, but it's it's hilarious because he rides him like a sled, like to add insult to injury. <laughs> so so well done. Uh, but I do think that you know I'm a big action fan. I love seeing the films, and so to see something like this. It is it is a difference maker. It's not him with guns. It's him being a climber. If you can try to believe that, even though he's like gigantic in this movie, he's so. gigantic and roided <laughs> out of his mind. Yeah, he's in like amazing shape in this movie. I think this movie and uh, like Rambo two or Rambo three. I think he is supposed to be like in the best shape of his life. According was to that him, when he but... was prepping for um, Rocky three, where he was in like the best shape of his life. Yeah. Stallone is just jacked out of his mind, but looking at his IMDB, this came out right before one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies, which is demo man. Oh, demolition man. Yep. That's a good one. The sea, the seashells. (laughs) Uh, He, he doesn't know what the seashells are for. He doesn't know what those are for. And Taco Bell is like the meeting point. (laughs) And it's all the tiny plates. Yeah. It's crazy. That movie's yeah. That movie's interesting. I, like that movie, I have only seen it once, and that was another movie why you know it took a while for me to to watch. I don't like Judge Dredd. I think that movie sucks. You don't like I, Judge Dredd? No, I like I like Dredd, the one with Carl Urban. The but, Dredd with um, Carl. I like yeah. see. I like Dred, Judge Dredd as a guilty pleasure '90s movie with world famous merit. with world famous Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider is a <laughs> <laughs> stapler. A <laughs> stapler. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I mean, to each their own. I'll never poo poo your what you like. I, for me, I just was like, eh, I don't know. I just love how corny it is. And, and Stallone plays it up. I knew you'd say that. He really does. He really yucks. Me, I am so. the law. I'm the law. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to do this movie is because I heard it's described as a 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon dad movie. I think that's perfect. This does feel like it's Saturday afternoon and my dad is watching TV and all of a sudden cliffhangers on and it just seems to be on. So I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about how accurate that was. So I look at films like Con Air and Gone in 60 Seconds as being movies that fit this description nicely. I feel like Gone in 60 Seconds was always on TV. It was always on TNT specifically. And I as soon as I turn on the TV, I feel like it'd be there. Uh, just one of those movies, right? So what are your favorite 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon dad movies? Okay, I love this question first off because I definitely had to think about what were the movies I always saw on growing up. 
Uh, looking back at my list, it was always, you know, RoboCop, Jurassic Park. Uh, you'd be somewhere midway through either Raiders of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom. Uh, and then, you know, more recently, it's definitely, you know, your Ocean's Eleven, uh, the remake, not the original. Uh, National Treasure, uh, also Forrest Gump, and then Demolition Man. Always movies where it's like, <laughs> uh, it's on, I'm going to just watch it and t- all the way to the end. That's a, I mean, that's, you're right, National Treasure, I felt like was always on. I didn't even National think Treasure, about that. Treasure, it's because it's just a great classic family movie. Yeah, um, I could, I don't know about great, but I, it is good. It is and, great. Uh, but like, yeah, you're right. If you flip through, it's like, oh, hey, National Treasure is on. That makes sense. Same thing with Indiana Jones. I feel like those are on quite often. I feel like Star Wars was quite was on quite often, but like only yeah. specific channels. Um, Joe Dirt on Comedy Central. I feel like they always played Joe Dirt for some reason. That's oh like, yeah, I, I love that movie, but it was on Comedy Central all the damn time. That and Half Baked. Um, oh yeah, Half Baked. I didn't even think about that. I was like, I definitely remember always seeing, uh, you know, RoboCop or Forrest Gump. Well, Forrest mm-hmm. Gump's also a long movie, so they can just throw oh, that yes. on and they can throw that on and forget it. Yeah, well, and speaking of long movies, Saving Private Ryan, that movie I feel like was always on TV as well. Oh, uh, yeah, the, you know, heavily censored down. Mm-hmm. The Mummy, The Mummy was on a lot to the 1999 With the classic. Academy Award winning. <laughs> yeah. uh, Die Hard 4, specifically, the the Live Free or Die Hard, the one where he goes to DC, that one is was always on TBS or like TNT for some reason. And I don't know why the hell, it, specifically that one. No, none of the other diehards, just that one. Maybe it was, it was the cheapest one to run. Maybe. It just was weird because it's like, I feel like if I'm at the dentist office or I'm somewhere and the TV's on and, you know, there's commercial breaks, it goes back to Die Hard 4. That so one's the worst. Odd. I'd rather have, I'd rather watch Die Hard 3 anytime. I mean, I, I, I love I like all, Die Hard I love, 3. I love all, for, I, I, I love all Die Hard 1, 2, 3s. Mm-hmm. Just Die Hard 4 is when he just becomes you know, a superhero. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Isn't that when he slides down the fighter pilot wing or the fighter jet wing? Uh, I don't know. He That's does with Matthew Fox, right? No, he, he does jump a car into an airplane, though. That's the one I'm thinking of. Where I'm yeah, just that, like, oh, that's okay. Die Hard 4. It's stupid. Okay. Or a helicopter. He jumps a, a car into a helicopter. And then the king of all uh, 2 p.m. Saturday dad movies is the Shawshank Redemption. TNT, Ooh. I think, had exclusive rights to the Shawshank Redemption. So that movie would be on, I, I shit you not, weekly. Um, it's like clockwork. It'd always be on. And that's how I pretty much saw Shawshank Redemption. But I mean, it's great because that movie you could put on at any point and just continue to watch because it's such a it's a damn near perfect movie. Exactly. So I, I that's the king of, of all of those 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon dad movies, in my opinion. I like that one. That that's a great one. Like, I feel like that and Jurassic Park were always on. Oh, I do love me some Jurassic Park a lot, though. It never it ages perfectly. It ages well. Ages like Stallone, so badass. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, because now he's doing Expendables four, and keep on expending. Keep on expending, and he's actually doing a sequel to Cliffhanger. So a long time ago, the, we, we, I read that earlier in the trivia. Damn was supposed to be the sequel, and that was like in 94. He tried to get it off the ground in 2008, but it kind of fell through. Uh, so it has sequel to Cliffhanger has been in, in the works for decades, but it's never fully caught legs. 
Um, that is until actually May 1st of this year, 2023. It has been confirmed that Sylvester Stallone will return for an official sequel to Cliffhanger that's going to be directed by Rick Roman Waugh. Um, I'm not a huge fan of remakes or requels or whatever you want to call them, but I also am very optimistic that Cliffhanger 2 might be quite successful if they use the same formula that Top Gun Maverick used because Top Gun Maverick was wonderful. It was a surprise. Could not believe that that movie would blow me away. And it did. So I'm optimistic. But John, what are your thoughts on how the creators can make uh, Cliffhanger 2 a home run and appeal to modern audiences? Uh, This is where I'm not optimistic on a Cliffhanger 2. Keep on hanging. Um, I I feel like what made Top Gun Maverick such a hit was that it left it open where you have you have Maverick being the instructor. Um, it also took place, you know, well, I can't say 30 years later because this one's aging 30 years. But I feel like how can you do the same formula that made Cliffhanger what it was where somebody wants to steal from the National Treasury. They, they coordinate this elaborate heist of two airplanes. Um, and then there's this big heist. Oh, the, you know, the cases fall off onto mountains and they have to, you know, hike them up. I just feel like Cliffhanger is a great one and done movie. I feel, you know, like, what if they try to make a sequel to Demolition Man? What if they that'd tried be, to make that'd it? That'd be awesome. <laughs> it, it would be. I would love, I mean, Wesley Snipes obviously couldn't come back, but I'd love it because Demolition Man is a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, but I just feel like you couldn't really replicate this one with an old, an older cliffhanger Stallone. That's my opinion. And it's not, you're not wrong. Stallone is limited in what he can do. Um, I have several things I want to say. I'm optimistic for the reason that, again, using the Top Gun Maverick uh, example, Top Gun, I think, is not that good of a movie um, in general. I'm not enamored by it. So I went into seeing Top Gun Maverick and I'm like, I know it's going to be cheesy, man, like extra, extra cheese, but I'm all here for it. And I was freaking blown away because you have Tom Cruise, who's basically a walking death wish. And he does the most insane, ridiculous bananas, balls to the wall stunts. He also likes to get the shot. He always goes for the shot, the the, the really amazing cinematography and, and beautiful shots that we see in that movie. The, the visceral nature that is Top Gun Maverick to be in the cockpit during all those those flights. I think you can replicate that in a film like Cliffhanger 2 with things like Free Solo, right? Free Solo, the world saw uh, Connor Anker and were able to see him do what he needs to do. And Jimmy Chin did such an amazing job filming it. So you consult with people like that in order to really shoot on location and and get those practical effects down and and get that visceral raw nature that that you need. They've been doing it for for decades, right? But with all the technology and the advancements, I think they can put the care into it. Another reason Top Gun Maverick was successful, again, like I was saying, Tom Cruise, Sylvester Stallone knows action. As like it or not, the Expendables are actually pretty good. I loved the first and second Expendables. The third one is like, okay, 
but I'm still going to see the fourth one because it's like a childhood wet dream, right? Like I'm like, Oh my God, these eighties action stars are all back. Everybody's <laughs> together. The whole band's together. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's the Wes Anderson of action films. Basically he gets all the who's who's back. And I will agree with you. The Expendables is just as corny as it is. It is still a great movie. Like series. Oh, it's, it's just fun, right? Like Van Damme in, in the second one is awesome. His name is Valaine and he's the yeah, main a, villain. Valaine. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. But I, I love the shit out of it. It's the same reason why I love the John Wick movies because it's over the top absurd action, but I'm going in knowing exactly what it is. And so I think with Stallone really kind of mellowing out over these past years and all of his work, like in Creed, uh, the Creed series, he knows how to act. I think he can put a really heartfelt performance into it uh, where he's also not doing too much or taking too much of the physical toll. So my idea behind it, and this is where I think it could be really good is you have Michael Rooker still alive. You have uh, Sylvester Stallone still alive. And then you have, I believe so. And then you have Janine Turner still alive. So you could spin this to where we follow up on them Janine Turner and Stallone now have a kid who's also a rescue ranger. He's a climber, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Make it a girl, make it a boy, whoever you want. Michael Rooker, though, all of these years for the past 30 years has been in a deep state of depression for what he went through, where he basically was just a hostage who got his ass kicked and where watched all his friends die it watched all of his friends die and it pushed him to the brink and stallone burned the money and maybe rooker was like for everything i went through you couldn't think to just take a little bit of the money for me or whatever because in cliffhanger hal michael rooker he is set up to be the villain in my opinion he when he watches sarah drop he glares at at gabe at stallone and i was thinking oh shit rooker's gonna be the bad guy but then it doesn't happen, and he actually kind of gets over her death pretty quickly, especially like eight months later. It's eating Stallone up. It's not eating Hal up. But he's, when moved, they, he's moved right on. He's, he's moved on. And when they meet up again, he you know he's like, I could throw you off this cliff. And he's like, then drop it. He's like, you're going to live with that or whatever. I think they should make Michael Rooker the villain in the second one. But I think that they shouldn't announce that in the in the trailer. I think that it should be like underlying uh that would that be would, a good twist that would be, be a, a solid fantastic twist. twist i mean if you look at it stallone burnt what okay three cases was it three cases well he like lost three cases he burnt probably 10 million dollars i'd say but it's like it's like you're telling me you couldn't hide any of that in the mountains that you knew exactly yeah it's it's you know he's the only one that knows the mountains well i mean not he he's not the only one but, but he and hal he yeah Gabe and Hal could have easily hid the money in the mountains yep come back and then funded uh you know the mountain you know the ranger station mm-hmm. and you know you could make an argument i don't know if i have enough to, evidence to back it up but you could make an argument that that gabe actually made the situation worse for hal uh during the whole hostage situation. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that thought, but I'm sure there's an argument in there somewhere. So yeah, I think, I think you can, you can do a ton with it and I would be very intrigued by it. As long as they stick with some pretty amazing stunts, then I'm all for it. And as long as it doesn't feel like it's like the point break remake just felt like it was a GoPro commercial where they were missing too much of the substance. It was all style, no substance. And it this was all one, style, no substance. Yeah. And it was just the name. 
you're yes. you're banking on the name point brink where it has nothing to do with the original. You're no. just banking on that nostalgia bait. Mm-hmm. They're trying to one up the original, and it's you're you're missing the entire story. And yeah, and I think you can really you can really pound home a good story with a cliffhanger two sequel. So I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. Uh, no matter what, I'll see it. Oh yeah, totally. It's it's right up. It's it's got the the Edmund stamp of approval, probably. But dunk. <laughs> so I do want to talk about John Lithgow. Uh, he does a very good job of portraying this kind of evil Bond villain antagonist. Everything about his performance was wonderful, except for the improbability of him actually standing a chance in a fight with Stallone. It's John Lithgow. I, I don't know if the man has lifted a weight in his entire life. <laughs> Stallone no. is a roided out freak. So for for him and, and Gabe to be fighting on top of that airplane, I'm like, that doesn't seem accurate. This is this is Rocky Balboa. This is John. We Rambo. already know how this is going to go. <laughs> yeah, um, it did get me thinking, though, because I think that in in tons of action movies, there's different types of villains. Does the villain always need to match the hero in physicality in all of these action classics or can they be a more psychological and cunning villain like uh, John Lithgow? Uh, which antagonist, John, do you prefer in your films? Okay, so in my films, I definitely subscribe and prefer uh, when the villain doesn't match the hero in physicality. Uh, I prefer the uh, intellectual villain a hundred times more uh, over than when they can just match them, you know, strength for strength. Uh, I feel there's just much more depth to the character. It just allows for a greater depth um, than just your Bane archetype. I mean, some people will say, you know, oh, Bane did have this intellectual master plan of what he was doing. Um, but when it comes down to it, Bane is just the muscle. Um, not to say I don't like it. I, I like that one. Um, but it makes me think, you know, for example, you know, you look at Javier Bardem in Skyfall. Uh, you look at, you know, the late Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Or, you know, Kevin Spacey in Usual Suspects. All of these villains had this big master plan laid out. And they just were not ready for, like you said, the improbability of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there, there's just a bunch. I just feel it adds so much. I mean, or you also look at, say, uh, maybe Black Panther is a good one. When they match them both in the physicality and in the intellectual space when it's Killmonger. But I just, I just prefer that, that intellectual side. I mean, all you can look back at the classic, you're a Goldfinger. Goldfinger is a great one to draw back on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Well, no, I agree with you. I think I'm more of a psychological villain guy. I mean, I love Batman. And so the Joker is probably the, it's the yin to his yang. It's, they they complete each other, but he's also everything that Bruce Wayne isn't, or I should say Batman isn't. Batman has the strength, but he fights for uh, vengeance for the most part, and then later on learns that he's fighting to protect his city. The Joker just wants pure chaos, and he doesn't believe in any type of order, and he is not as physically well-matched as uh, Bruce Wayne is. But he does know how to fight and there are various iterations of the Joker and he uses his cunning to be able to kill people. Uh, so I think that's a, a great classic example of it all. And then with oh, like Owen Davian in Mission Impossible 3, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late great PSH, one of my favorite actors of all time, he does a fantastic job 
as the villain in Mission Impossible 3. It just feels it feels like a good movie. Um, it feels that he's the type of person like when he gives the monologue and he says, you know, you have a, you have a wife, a girlfriend. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to hurt her and I'm going to make you watch. Basically, it's really scary because um, some people have a way with words and you can just believe them on face value. And he is believable. So Goldfinger. I same- like Phil- I like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, he's great. In without it, right? it, without it, that film would have been terrible. Yeah, he's not he's not fighting around the world or anything like that. But he is he's cunning, and that's how it should be. Um, same thing with Goldfinger. You know, this master plan that needs to be stopped. And I think be, always being one or two steps ahead of somebody is the thing that you're like, holy shit! It doesn't matter how strong I am; I have to outsmart this guy. So that to me gives a more cerebral performance and, and viewing experience that I really love. Oh, absolutely. So those are my, those are the, I, I agree with you. I think we're on the same page with that. I mean, not, not to say you can't yeah. have a good physical, the physical, um, you know, protagonist and antagonist. It's just, it's just way more depth and character driven when you yeah. can actually, you know, they don't have to match. I agree. So as wonderful as Janine Turner is as an actor, I was really let down by her performance in cliffhanger. We know she's a pilot, but it never really gets put to good use during any ancillary scenes other than the opening, which the opening is amazing, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I was I was shaking a little. Uh, it's very hard. I don't have vertigo or anything, uh, so I would be on, you know, climbing up there and doing those things. But it it's it's nerve wracking. So and I thought it was a wonderful opening scene. She follows Stallone and she helps him a bit, but doesn't really get any redemptive moment or apparent agency. She even gets kidnapped in the end. It's pretty stupid. <laughs> these, are, these are all tropes of an escort mission in video games where you have to escort an NPC, a non-playable character, through a section of the game and protect them. But they usually can't fight for themselves. I think it was a huge missed opportunity by the filmmakers. How do you feel about the quote-unquote damsel in distress stereotype? How would you remedy Janine Turner's character in this movie? I first off, I agree with you. After rewatching this, I forgot how useless she was in this film. You could cut her completely out of the film, and you wouldn't miss a single thing. Um, as how I feel about the damsel in distress stereotype, I feel that it's it's overplayed and it's antiquated. And I'm glad that they've definitely moved forward and away from that. Um, in the past, they just always fell into the trope. Oh, we have the male hero. What's he need? Damsel in distress. Yeah. Um. Uh. She's useless. What are what's her skill set? She's useless. She's a she's an NPC. That's the best way you put it. Um. But now there's been a shift where, uh, that's been for the betterment of cinema. You know, you look at characters who are quote damsels in distress, but they bring something to the table. Like mm-hmm. look at, um. Uh, the first one that thought that jumped to my head was Karen Allen, you know, Marion Ravenwood in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ooh, yeah, she's she's a damsel in distress, but she still brings her her confidence. She knows her stuff. She's capable. She, you know, she compliments Indy well. Uh, Kira Knightley, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, at first she seems like this very, you know, rich and entitled female supporting character. However, she in the end holds her own incredibly well. Uh, and then, you know, wouldn't be, I'd be remiss to say if I didn't mention Carrie Fisher in star Wars, just yeah. an amazing supporting character that brings 
everything that Carrie Fisher brought to that role. Yeah. I think those are what great about, choices. What about you? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's such a bummer because with her character, she easily could have been used more. And it's, I watched this funny YouTube series from this uh, creator called space ice. And I think you'd love it. It's, it's called best movie ever where he does, he does a voice like this and <laughs> he, he talks about a movie. He gives like basically the entire synopsis, but he exaggerates it. So he goes in a movie where Stallone can, can out climb a helicopter, even though that was 4,000 feet and save how who's just hanging around sitting on his ass. And like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny I'll and it's stupid, but yeah. And, and they, he makes a point in the, in the video where, Janine really doesn't do any Janine Turner doesn't really do anything other than that surprise kick on uh, Leon. I forgot his character's name, but when they're in the caves, he kicks kind of saves kind of saves Gabe, but then doesn't really have a backup plan for anything else is pretty much rendered useless after that. She's just the passenger. Yeah, entire time she just proceeds throughout the movie to kind of just be along for the ride. that's about it. She really doesn't do anything. And it's it's a bummer because I think she could have been a great character. I think you could have given a moment where, yeah, maybe kidnap her earlier on, but she ends up surviving or she ends up getting a kill or she's able to pilot the, the helicopter out of there or something like that, right? Like she needed a redemptive arc or Some a, redemptive, redemptive moment. Arc. Yes, or a redemptive moment or just at least have agency. And I... I think that that was pretty ridiculous. Um, I think that was the biggest and most glaringly uh, obvious mistake that this film made was not giving her character more to do. Yeah. Or look at maybe Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies when she gets the, you know, the knockout blow on Tia Carrera in the limo. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, this. She kills those people with the gun when it drops, when it drops down the stairs and shoots everybody. I, I definitely would agree with, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis giving that, you know, when the gun tumbles through and then mm-hmm. she gives the thumbs up to, yeah. to Arnold. <laughs> I I don't know. That movie always holds a special place. I love that movie so much. I that movie is, it's so good. It's it's arguably one of my favorite Arnold movies. Um, my only thing yeah. I hate is the horse when he literally thinks the horse can jump to make that jump. I think it's great because it's 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 him making fun of himself and where we see, especially like in movies like this, apparently there was a director's cut where basically people are jumping from cliffs going like 300 feet, which is physically impossible no matter how high you are. And I think we see a lot of that in action movies where these things are happening. And you're like, wait a minute, what that can't happen. And I think (laughs) what he's doing in true lies is like, I'm going to jump this horse across a building, but the horse is like, screw you, buddy. I'm, I'm not doing that. (laughs) <laughs> like, I can't do that. The, the laws of physics exist in the real world. I do love when he does talk to the horse and he's like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's good. But yeah, um, it, it's just a bummer to see that because she is a good actor. And I would I would have liked to see more with it. I mean, shit, even uh, the, the the old guy who dies. I forgot his name already. Frank or Fred. Frank, yeah, Frank. He had more to do. He saved the the parachuter. He got the helicopter up there. Um, and his death was kind of like, it was a bummer. So it would have been cool to see Jesse do something and, you know, stop a terrorist, whether it's it's happenstance or circumstance, or maybe her get the, the killing blow on Leon. Um, I think that would have been better. It would have been anything, you know, whether she hides the money, she comes up with an idea to fake out the transponder, mm-hmm. anything, anything. 
And I think of the moment like uh, in Casino Royale when Vesper kills the guy and she just has blood on her hands and James Bond goes and like hugs her in the shower because yeah. she, she'd never done that before, even though she was an agent. And I think you could get something like that. It's it's he's just trying to comfort her because of the things that she just went through. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much, but there are moments like that in the show Barry that I think really were a prime example of how you can give this character some, some depth and agency and, and yes. have them. I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, with Barry. Yeah. Have them struggle and see what it's like in these, in these scenarios that they're thrust into. So I think that would be, would be excellent if they, you know, were to do that. Maybe in the sequel. I agree. Barry too. So Die Hard. Let's talk about the movie Die Hard real quick. I love, I love it. Him. You love it. We all love it. It's like ice cream. The basic outline of Die Hard goes like this. A cop out of his jurisdiction is unexpectedly thrown into a terrorist and hostage hostage situation in, in an isolated location and must save the day, eliminating the bad guys one by one. That is Die Hard. That is a a trope, and it's become so popular that there have been several Die Hard on a blank, blank, blank films that have followed. Cliffhanger is Die Hard on a Mountain. It's it's a guy who was never a cop, was never ex-military. He's just a normal guy who's really good at climbing and saving, and he gets thrust into a situation where he has to save the day, and lo and behold, he's able to kill everybody and get away scot-free. <laughs> that is a Die Hard on a blank, blank, blank film. I want to hear what your choices are for each of the following, and we can compare our answers. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, John, die hard on a bus. It has to be speed. Absolutely. It was mine is yeah. also speed. I was like, it has to be speed. Yeah, it's so good. And you got you got a cop. And it's it's very similar to this, where, you know, in the in the beginning, they realize it's been a long time since I've seen speed, but they can't catch the bomb maker. And so they're already kind of like, Ugh, and Keanu Reeves is kind of on his day off and gets that call, then has to to, to act. He's just a guy, a normal guy who has to act. Um, He's your normal Joe SWAT officer. Yeah. You tell that wildcat to keep her, her eyes on the road. He's like, wildcat. <laughs> Fucking love that movie. It's so good. That movie holds a special place now in my heart because when we were uh, in the hospital waiting to give birth to, or when Katie was getting ready to give birth to Rob, it was that movie playing on that and Matrix three oh, playing yeah. on repeat so i was like come on speed come on speed i need a good movie speed is so cool I, I, yeah i love it so yep okay cool we're on the same we're on the same boat for that one uh die hard on a plane okay i'm gonna go with executive decision was my first answer you know i thought about that and the issue with the with die hard on a plane is that there are so many good ones out there Executive decision is excellent and it has that amazing twist. And this isn't a spoiler because the movie's been out for like 30 years. But when Kurt Russell dies or when I'm sorry, so when Steven Seagal dies, you're like, holy crap. Yeah, because like, he was a lead and then he's dead 20 minutes in. Yeah, it was incredible. Kurt Russell's fantastic in it. So, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I put Con Air. Con Air Ooh, okay. is is the quintessential. I'm just trying to catch a ride. But then he's got to step up and be the hero. Let's do this. Like it's, what, was, what, what was your second guess? Because I, uh, I have a second one I wrote down. Air Force One. That was my second one. I was like, get off my plane. Get off my plane. <laughs> That's, and then third would have been Snakes on a Plane. But. <laughs> snakes on a Plane, but yeah, it was definitely... I remember seeing Air Force One in theaters, and that the music is also underrated. Highly. Mm-hmm. 
I do like Air Force One quite a bit. That's that's a good one. But yeah, uh, I mean, it's, for me, it's it's Con Air easily. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, uh, Die Hard on a Train. Okay, now I'm going to go way off the reservation, but this when you said Die Hard on a Train on the question, my knee-jerk reaction, that's when I texted you, uh, source code. So I haven't seen source code, but I know what you're talking about. But is that is he just like a normal guy in that? And then he has to... So he's Jake, Jill- Jake Gyllenhaal plays. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's he's an Air Force pilot. I, I, mm-hmm. I he, He's in the Air Force. And then he's thrust into stopping this terrorist attack that starts on the train. But he's thrust oh, wow. into he's he's in this world of his own. You know, it's not like he's a counter, you know, counterintelligence agent. Mm-hmm. So when I initially thought Die Hard on Train, I thought of Source Code. And you got to check that out if you haven't seen that. Um, I so it was spoiled for me uh, via a, a YouTube video I watched, so I do kind of know what happens at the end. But yeah, um, yeah I think that I will, I'll probably have to check it out at a certain point. You know what I mean? Um, what was yours? Um, so I, I had uh, Under Siege two. Uh, Under Siege with Seagal is probably his best movie. He's an idiot, but Tommy Lee Jones is like an awesome villain in that. Uh, but Under Siege 2, that one takes place on a battleship. Under Siege 2 takes place on a train. And I saw Under Siege 2 before I saw Under Siege 1. I don't really remember much about it, but I do remember it's pretty much like the same. It's Die Hard on a Train. Die Hard um, on a Train. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, tra- I was going to put Train to Basan, even though uh, even though that's a zombie movie. I was oh, That's thinking, a good like, film, though. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, this is kind of like a terrorist outbreak, except it's zombies and they have to fight on it. And that was. But he's just a businessman. It's not like he's an ex-military. Mm hmm. Die hard on a boat. Okay, it's going to have to also be speed two cruise control Speed two cruise control. I agree with you. That is mine as well. I absolutely love it. Uh, Willem Dafoe hams it up perfectly. Oh, yeah. You could say Under Siege because that is also a boat. But no, for me, it's it's speed two. I love it. It has that famous meme of Willem Dafoe with his eyes all big and smiling. Uh, you asleep, Stewie? <laughs> yeah. Just checking. Uh, yeah, I love speed two as much as I like speed one. Quite honestly, I think it's even it's though they stupid. recast Keanu. It's really stupid, but it's it's fun at the same time. Oh, OK, totally. die hard in the White House. It's going to have to uh, uh, this one. I was like, I hate that. I was like, I tried to go different, but it's like it's going to be White House down uh, with Channing Tatum with Channing Tatum. My boy, I like Olympus has fallen better, actually. With Olympus Gerard Butler. has fall. Olympus has fallen. Oh, that one's so good. I just was like, when you said White House, I was like, uh, like my br- I, I told you I went off just knee jerk reactions, which was White House down, mm-hmm. even though Olympus has fallen is far better. And I'm also a sucker for Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, Aaron Eckhart is good in it. I like it. Uh, I I don't want my president to be like shooting guns either, though. So and I don't I like Channing Tatum, but I think he's better as a comedic actor. I don't think he's a good action actor. No, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, comedic. Yeah, Lost City. He's great in. Yeah. And, and Gerard Butler is just he, he needs to stick to action. He just does fun action movies, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And then finally, Die Hard in a Stadium. This one I drew a complete blank on. I was I I. I was fishing for anything. What I, I, uh, so, okay. Have you ever seen the movie sudden death with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Wow. I didn't actually think about sudden death. That movie's so goddamn good. And I actually wanted to do it because, uh, on the rewatchables, they did sudden death. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, Oh, I love that movie. That was a movie I used to watch a ton when I was a kid. 
Ooh, okay. Yeah. Love it. But it's it's the exact same. I mean, it's the same premise as Die Hard. He's Jean-Claude Van Damme has he was a firefighter and he had an incident at the beginning of the movie where a baby dies. And then so he gets kicked down a peg and he's now like the fire inspector of the Pittsburgh Penguin Stadium. And, you know, he takes his kids to game seven of the Blackhawks and the Penguins. Ooh, okay. And then like something happens and he has to step in. And it's it's pretty badass. It's the most ridiculous movie where he he doesn't do the splits or a spinning flying kick like he normally does in every movie. But I like it a lot. And it's it just doesn't make any sense. And one of my favorite rewatch that one because I have not seen that one in forever. So I don't know. I don't think it's streaming anywhere uh, because that was something that I was, you know, trying to looking for in, in the sense of what I wanting to do it for this podcast. But one of my favorite things is when you get someone like a, a, um, a Schwarzenegger or a Van Damme who are not from the United States. Uh, they weren't born here. So they have a deep accent and they have a, an American sounding name. So in sudden death, his name is Darren McCord. And it's Darren just like, McCord. What? Uh, and then with Arnold where it's like John, he's like, I'm John Kimball. And you're like, John, John Kimball. And and then he's also both these guys are just gigantic monsters and no one really questions it. They're like, dude, where did, what did you do before this? Like, you're huge. So it's it's just hilarious. But I, I want to quote something from Barry, but I can't. Yeah. Uh, well, we can do it off air. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Um, OK, cool. So, John, those are all the questions I had. Um, are you ready to jump into the hottest take? I will. I am ready to give a hot take. All right. I want you to defend your hottest and most controversial take on this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors, on whatever you want to talk about. 80s movies, whatever. Go ahead. I think what kills me, the it, it, it's a hot take that I'll come in hot on, not defending, but attacking, is the opening scene. While classic, I hate the fact that the climbing gear fails. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it every time. I do love the Ace Ventura 2 parody of it but i hate it when the the climbing gear fails like you're telling me all this highly rated 1993 climbing gear would have all failed stallone wouldn't have double checked it stallone would you know somebody like stallone or uh michael rooker uh or his girlfriend slash wife for that matter yeah wouldn't have checked it and then it, they, they just go out there with fall it's it's like it's like a skydiver not checking their parachute gear. So that's I, what kills me. I agree with you. And as I mean, everyone knows preparation is key, especially when you're doing outdoor activities. Um, I don't like that. She does. She's an inexperienced climber and he took her on this fucking ridiculous, like tower double a, black diamond. I mean, shit, it was, it was insane. And I'm like, how is she, how did she even get up there? And then they have the audacity to not check every nook and cranny of their gear. Um, I mean, I'm not a climber, but I'm pretty positive that when you're doing that kind of stuff, you you have to check all of it. I know that they check their ropes and they check their harnesses and their carabiners. And so it would make sense. Also, along with what you're saying, there's no way that those buckles and those straps would work like that. It wouldn't go through each one of those and pull completely off. There exactly. are stop gaps and that's why it has teeth on it. Uh, and to, to be fair, Black Diamond came out in 93 and there's a there's a note at the end of the movie and they said, Black Diamond equipment does not do this. 
this was modified for the film, basically. So people weren't like, oh, Black Diamond is uh, terrible. better not that. No, they're fantastic for climbing stuff. I don't climb, but I mean, I have a lot. Of I don't climb either, there, but so. I was always like, that's bullshit every time. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Um, my hottest take is that Hal should have been the bad guy. They set this up perfectly, and I talked about it, how I think it should be in the sequel. They set it up perfectly for him to be the bad guy. Michael Rooker is amazing. He could have easily made he that turn. He can play a great villain. Yep, he could have made that turn. It's argue, it's arguable that this was more of his movie than Stallone, and he had a lot more scenes where you just kind of felt it. So I, I appreciated that. But like, it would have been pretty awesome to see him in cahoots with with uh, John Lithgow to see maybe he set all of this up um, or tweak some things here and there. And so I think that's the biggest missed opportunity is that. Well, I shouldn't say that's the biggest missed opportunity, but I do believe that Rooker should have been the bad guy in this movie. Um, and on the Rewatchables podcast, they did this and it was funny. They were saying, what if at the end when they're all on the cliff and what's his name? Quail or uh, John Quaylen. Quaylen. Quaylen falls down when he when he falls down and dies. What if they're all up there and Hal pushes uh, Jesse off and he's like, now we're even now and we're then, even. And then the movie ends. I'd be like, whoa, Ooh, that would be a dark turn. <laughs> yeah, that would be dark. So that was on the rewatchables podcast. Um, and that I mean, that got me thinking, too. I was like, you know what? From the get go, as somebody who had never seen this before, I was like, Rooker's going to be the bad guy. I was wrong. And that's fine because I like Michael Rooker, but I really wanted to see maybe more of more of what could have happened. And I think it would have worked out well. That would have been good. I mean, that, 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 if that's kind of the sequel, you're right. They need to keep that secret. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Well, John, that was all I had. Um, you know, again, for some reason, my birthday movies that I do for the birthday episodes always seem to gravitate towards Stallone. Well, at least the past two years. So I don't know what the hell that is. That's just uh... next year we have to do Demo Man. Oh, I don't know about all that. That's so. a great movie. I will hey. die on that hill. Yeah, that's fine. You can die up there. You can cliffhang no. from that hill. A cliffhang. My gear um, will work. What do you get? What do you give a cliffhanger for a letter grade? I would give this movie a solid B B plus. I feel that it's still, you know, it definitely holds up. Uh it's it's just a great popcorn flick. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I'm with you. I'm a, I'm a solid B, just a flat B. I think it's it's perfect. 85% um, is a perfect rating for it because I would watch it again if it were on TV. Um, I think it's shot beautifully. If I owned this in 4K, I would not be upset. If I had yeah. a digital copy and it was like $3, yep, I'm buying it. Oh, yeah. I, it's a movie that I would watch again. Okay, John, thank you so much for joining, as always. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Thank you so much again for having me. Uh, I am just on social media at john.edmonds. Uh, I just post memes and photos. That's it. On Instagram? On Instagram, yeah. IG. All right. We'll slide Aww into your you. DMs. Oh, you. Cool. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we are crazy, or just send us funny memes. Memes. Make sure you subscribe to our <laughs> make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.